0: My name is Ross Anderson, I'm one of our teaching pastors here at Alpine Church, and I'm old enough to remember um, Burger King. Do you remember this, Burger King? For years they told us we could have it our way, right? And they changed that about five years ago, but for 40 years, continuously, Burger King wanted to let us know that they're the fast food place where you can go and get your meal customized. I can still remember the, the girls in the orange suit singing, hold the pickle, hold the lettuce, special orders don't upset us, right? Now, that's not that relevant in today's society anymore because you can go to almost any fast food restaurant and they can customize what you want. If you go to Mod Pizza or In-N-Out or Chipotle or Subway, or where, they're going to give you the meal the way you want it. And in fact, I was looking on the other, online the other day, I saw at Starbucks, There's 87,000 different drink combinations. If you really wanted some of those crazy combinations, they're available for you. Now, I bring this up because today's message, today's passage is is really about food, but it's also about way more than food as well. And 2,000 years ago, people did not have the ability to customize the meal that they're going to get, but... They were like us in another way. Okay, they had what you might call a Burger King approach to Jesus. They wanted to have Jesus their way. They wanted to be able to define what Jesus was and what He's all about according to their desires and their interests, Where, while at the same time Jesus is really trying to reveal to them who He actually is. And so we're going to look at this miracle today where Jesus feels Feeds a multitude. Now, this is one of seven miracles in the Gospel of John. John chose chose these seven out of all the different miracles that Jesus had done. This is the fourth one of them. And John chose them for a particular purpose. These miracles are special acts of God by which He reveals His power and His character for the purpose that we might believe in Him, that we might trust in Him. We're going to see today that Jesus really can be trusted. Now, we all have challenges and needs in our life that Jesus can be trusted with. We have all kinds of needs. Some of the challenges are big. Some of them are small. Sometimes the challenges we face are physical, like we're going to see today. People needed lunch. A lot of people today believe they have a the challenge of uh, needing a year's supply of toilet paper. Okay, so sometimes the challenges are emotional or relational or spiritual. And what we learn today is that when it comes to our greatest needs and our deepest hungers, the ultimate answer is Jesus. And so the first thing we see as we look at this miracle, And we see the setup of it. We're going to see that faith grows in situations that we can't handle. Remember, that's the purpose of the miracles, right, To to help us grow faith. And it happens in situations that we can't handle. We all have those situations that arise where the resources that we have in ourselves are not enough to meet the need. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough wisdom. We don't have enough ability. We don't have enough strength or courage or whatever it might be. And what we learned today is that as difficult as those situations are for us, those are the place and time where our faith has an opportunity to really grow. So we're going to look in John chapter 6. If you have that, uh, John chapter 6 in your Bible, your Bible app will also have the the verses up um, on the screen for you here. So starting in John chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. So by now, Jesus is starting to get really popular. The crowds are starting to follow him wherever he goes because they've seen these miracles, these healings that he's going to do. And so he goes off to this very remote place. No towns around there. It's kind of in the semi-wilderness. And if you can set the the stage in your mind, Jesus sits down on the side of a hill, and his disciples are all gathered around him. They're going to have a teaching moment, I guess, with his disciples. And he looks up, and he sees crowds starting to walk up. From every direction, people are coming. He, Jesus must have felt like he was at the Costco parking lot, right? These crowds just kept coming, trying to meet a need. They had a lack, you know? A- and he realized, as he saw them coming, we see down in verse 10, by the way, that there, was, there were 5,000 men, and it says, and in the way they counted in those days, that means there were also women and children. There would have been enough to fill a whole stadium, a whole, a whole arena, let's say, a whole basketball arena, gathered around him. And because they're so far away from any other town or village, there's a real crisis brewing. There's not enough food to feed these people. The the shelves are bare, you might say. And so, turning to Philip, Jesus asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. So Jesus, his, he sets up what he's going to do by asking a provocative question. He says, hey, guys, how are we going to feed all these thousands of people that are arriving? And the disciples look around, and they realize, oh, my gosh, we don't have any resources. We don't have enough. Philip's doing some calculations in his head, and he says, he says it would take 200 days of labor at the current wages to feed that whole crowd. They're, they're just completely bankrupt of resources at this time. And so then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He said, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? So Andrew starts to do uh, a little inventory of his own, and he's looking around and he sees one kid. He's got two fish. He's got five barley loaves. That's like a big piece of pita bread. It's enough to feed one person lunch. A- and, he, and he realizes this is impossible. Th- there's nothing we can do. So you see, Jesus' strategy here is unfolding that he wants his disciples to come to grips with the impossibility of the situation, to come to grips with the limitation of their own resources so that when they see what he's about to do, they can learn to put all their trust in him. They're learning to trust in him. He's growing their faith in moments like this. Now, we all have challenges, right, that we face in life where, where we don't have enough to meet the need. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough perseverance or courage. And we don't, we don't have enough wisdom or knowledge. We just don't know what to do or how to go about doing it. Those are the times when our faith is going to really grow. Now, I remember a situation when I was in, when I didn't have enough, I remember a, a, I was in ministry for a number of years before I became part of Alpine Church. And even though I'd been in ministry for a long time, I made a really boneheaded ministry mistake, biggest mistake I ever made in ministry. I hired the wrong person to be part of our staff. And he had a lot of talent, a lot of charisma. On the outside, he looked like he'd be wonderful, but when you got to know him better, we realized that there's a lot of beliefs that he hadn't told us about. We didn't know ask, ask the right questions, and his character flaws started to come out, and he was bullheaded, and, and he just had his own ideas about what he wanted to do. And, and um. He was strong-willed, and he thought he was smarter and more spiritual than everybody else. And, and so I'm in a situation where I don't know how to lead this guy. I didn't have the experience. I didn't have the capacity, the knowledge about or the courage even to confront and to be able to lead this guy. And every day I'm spinning, just tearing my hair out, going like, what do I do? And how do I do it? And how can I possibly make this situation work? And eventually, um, he actually tried to take over the church. And so I know what it's like to be in a situation where you don't have what you need, where you don't have the resources to make the thing work. And it's in those challenging situations, even though they're so daunting, I learned a couple of things. I learned that it's okay to be inadequate. It's okay to be needy. And I could own up to my weakness in that situation. There's two reasons why that come out of this passage. The first reason why is that in those situations, when I am inadequate, that's where we see what only God can do. I couldn't do it. It has to be what God can do. And so in verse 6, it says that Jesus knew what he was going to do. He saw all these people coming up, all their needs, all their expectations, thousands of people coming up. You know what? Jesus wasn't worried about that at all. That didn't take him by surprise at all. Now, we always face situations in life, right, that that we don't have any idea what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day. Look at this whole coronavirus thing. That has taken us all by surprise how quickly, boom, things have developed. And we're going like, man, a, a month ago, I did not see this coming. Or even a week ago, I did not see this coming. And how many times in life have you been completely surprised by something that happened that you had no idea that that it was going to happen next. You know what? Jesus is never surprised. He's always prepared for what's going to happen. And so in those moments that are too big for me and too big for you, it's a great opportunity to see what God can do, Can see that they're not too big for God. And then the other thing we see here, that when we're in those situations, it's okay to be inadequate. It's okay to admit our need because in those situations, that's where Jesus really grows our faith. See, in verse 6, when Jesus asked that question, uh, where are we going to feed all these guys, it says he was testing Philip. That means he, wa- he didn't, wasn't asking for information. He was asking because he wanted Philip to start thinking about the situation in a new way. He wanted Philip to be stretched, to, for Philip to be prepared to see what Jesus was about to do. And so, you know what? When you're in way over your head, what a great teaching moment that is. When Jesus casts you out into the deep, lets you go out in, into the deep waters, that's such a great opportunity for us to see how much we need to depend on Him. Now, of course, those situations aren't comfortable and they're painful, but they have incredible value. And so in, when I was trying to learn how to handle a difficult staff person, and I was in way over my head with this guy, you know, he was, he was his personality just blew my personality away, and I was so, uh, I didn't know what to do. Here's what, here's what God taught me. He taught me to have greater confidence in Him to be able to do the hard thing. And I learned over the course of that whole experience, that I could trust God with the ability to have a confrontation or to manage a difficult relationship or to have a difficult conversation with somebody. I could trust God with that. He worked that in my life. And so when you're in that impossible situation where you don't have the resources for what you need, see, that's when we learn what God can do. That's when we learn how deeply we need to depend on Jesus. And so that's why our faith will grow. In those situations, our faith will grow. Now there's another lesson that he learned that we learn here, not just about how our faith grows, but we learn also as we see how this unfolds that Jesus wants us to know him as he truly is, not just as, he wish he, as we wish he was, right? How as he truly is. Because every one of us has certain expectations about Jesus. We have certain things that we think Jesus ought to be like this, or this is the way it ought to work with Jesus, what He ought to do for us. And sometimes that's who Jesus really is, because we get our understanding from how He's revealed Himself in the Bible. But other times we get those ideas about Jesus just from our culture, or from what other people have told us, or even from our own wishful thinking and the desires that we have in our own heart. But here's the thing, is that our expectations of Jesus can actually become an obstacle to the truth. So let's read on in John chapter 6. In verse 10, tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. And afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces, and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. And when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we've been expecting. So the people's great need became the occasion for a great miracle as Jesus took the very, very limited resources that his followers had and he multiplied them. So everybody had something to eat. They had plenty to eat. in fact, when they gathered up the leftovers, there was more than they even started out with in the first place. Now what I think is so interesting here is that this miracle gets people starting to grapple with who Jesus is. That would make sense, right? Who just did this? What just went on here? And so they're grappling with their sense of his identity. Now, in Judaism at that time, people were anticipating the coming of a Messiah, been promised in the Old Testament Scriptures. And this Messiah would be God's anointed deliverer. He would be a king like the ancient King David. He'd be a prophet like the ancient prophet Moses. And in fact, you see there in verse 14 where they're saying, surely he's the prophet we've been expecting, they were thinking back to Deuteronomy 18, where, uh, <coughs> where God told Moses, I'm going to raise up a prophet like you from among your fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell the people everything I command them. This was the promise. And so they're identifying Jesus as this prophet. You know what? They were right. He, he was the prophet who was prophesied to come. He was the Messiah that was anticipated. But they didn't really grasp what that meant what that was really all about. They wanted Jesus to be a certain kind of thing, and their expectations of what the Messiah would be really got in the way of them really grasping the truth. And you see that in verse 15. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. You see, they wanted to force Jesus to do what they wanted him to do, to be what they thought he should be. They wanted a king who would feed them every day. They wanted a king who would overthrow the tyranny of the Roman Empire. But Jesus came to die on the cross. That's not what they expected at all. Jesus came on the cross to overthrow the tyranny of our sin. And so bottom line, what's happening here is that they didn't want to follow Jesus' ways. They wanted Jesus to follow their ways. Anybody relate to that or felt that way in our life? But Jesus says, I don't want to have anything to do with that. I'm not going to buy into that. So he slipped away where they couldn't find him. And the fact is that we still want to push Jesus into our mold. We still want to to make him be what we want him to be, right? You think about it. um, Socialists think Jesus was a socialist. Capitalists all think Jesus was a capitalist. People will label Jesus as a Democrat or as a Republican And to put it more personally, a lot of people, we just want Jesus to be a friend and compassionate and a helper, but we don't want Jesus to be Lord and have any authority in our life, right? So we just want the kind of Jesus that we define. We want a Burger King kind of Jesus. But we have to come to Him as He truly is, not the way we wish He was. We have to come to Him on His terms not on our terms. So we can't come to Jesus and say, you know what? <clears throat> I'd like an extra helping or two of your forgiveness, and I'd like a lot of mercy on the side. I need the mercy, but, but you can hold the authority and um, you know, kind of hold the holiness. I don't need any of that today. And we have all these things about Jesus that we like what he says or we like his priorities, but then there's other things we don't like what he says or we don't like what he prioritizes in our lives. So we feel like we can pick and choose. You know how you can tell if you're following a made-up Jesus? That Jesus will never challenge your life, right? If a Jesus, if the Jesus who never challenges your life is probably because he's just really basically you. But the Jesus of the Bible challenges our expectations. He confronts our sin. He, he sets upside down our assumptions. And when I read about Jesus in the Bible... You know, he exposes my selfishness. He exposes my bad attitudes. And so this miracle forces us to ask the question, what Jesus are you following? Are you following the Jesus who really is or just the Jesus as you want him, as you wish that he was? Now, to really get the full impact of this miracle, we have to fast forward to the next day. Because we saw in verse 15, Jesus slipped away quietly, you know, just to avoid their expectations. And the next day, they all realize that he's not there anymore. So they go out looking for him and hunting for him. And the story picks up again a few verses later when they have caught up to him. And there we see in Jesus' interactions with uh, the crowds that day that he is the source of what we really need. He's ultimately the source of what we really need. So you see that the miracle we're going to see is not really only about feeding people. It's not just about providing physical food. Now, physical hunger is a powerful force, and people, when they're hungry, will do some crazy things, right? But we all, every human being has a deeper hunger, a spiritual hunger, and Jesus met the physical hunger in order to demonstrate that he was fully capable of meeting the spiritual hunger as well. In fact, that he's the only one who possibly can meet the spiritual hunger in our lives. And so, when they finally caught up to him, here's a conversation that they began to have. In verse 26, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs but don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. So they finally caught up to Jesus. Jesus realized that they were there because they wanted another miraculous meal. Who wouldn't, right? I mean, and, and He realized that they didn't really understand the depth of the meaning that was behind the miracle that He did. They didn't really get what He was really trying to communicate to them. So He challenged them, He said, why are you so eager to pursue something so temporary as a meal, something so perishable as food when there's really something so much greater, so much more important, you really should be thinking about eternal life? I mean, today, for us today, he might say (coughs) something like, why are you so worried about getting physically sick? When all of us are infected by the sickness of sin, and we need to find a solution that could kill us eternally. Now, when he talks about eternal life, there in verse 27, he's not talking about just going to heaven when you die. But, really, eternal life is a life that starts now. It starts when you come into relationship with Jesus by trusting in Him, and it's the same life that then extends forever and ever in relationship with Him as far as eternity goes. So it's a kind of life that's transformed, that's a new life in relationship with God. It's a kind of life that we have new meaning and new significance and purpose as we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Starts now, lasts forever. That's what he says you should put your heart on. That's what you should really set your soul, your heart on pursuing, not just the next meal but here's how they responded to that that profound wisdom. He says, They answered, Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The Scriptures say, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're still thinking purely physical terms, right? They're saying, Jesus, we want you to put on a show for us. We want you to, you know, give us the, the buffet now again today. And they compared it to Moses. Like in the history of Israel, at one time, as God brought them out of captivity in Egypt, He took them through the wilderness to get to the land that He promised to give them. And while they were in the wilderness where there's no food, God provided food every day through manna. They went out and gathered manna six days a week, every day except the Sabbath. God provided this bread from heaven through Moses. And so they're going, wait, Moses has got like one up on you. What can you do to compare to him, you know? And um, they wanted him to just provide. And he, so he wanted to continue to get them to think about the deeper realities involved in what they'd seen him do. And so in verse 33, he says, The true bread of God is not the manna, It's not the food you got yesterday, The true bread of God is a person, it's the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus showed that he could provide for the physical food. But now he wants them to think more deeply about the meaning of that miracle. He says, there's, He says, there, there's a kind of bread that, that you really need that you haven't even thought about. He said, I am the true bread who comes down from heaven. He says, I'm the one who gives life. I'm the one who can feed you not just physically, but I can feed your deepest spiritual heart hungers. I can satisfy all of those. And he says, then, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me. Whoever comes to me, this broad invitation. It said, "If you will come and trust in me," he says, "You're still going to have to put food in your face for the rest of your life, but you'll never be spiritually hungry again." So, what we learn in this in this miracle is not that Jesus provides what we need. We all have these needs. We all have challenges and needs that are beyond our resources. We're not going to learn here that Jesus provides what we need. We're going to learn that Jesus himself is what we need. Jesus himself is the bread of life. As we trust in him that he can fulfill the deepest needs and the greatest hungers in our soul. Now, one of the greatest needs that we have is we need to be forgiven of our sins. We need to be reconciled to the God who made us. That's why Jesus went to the cross. When he died on the cross, he took all of our sins upon himself. When he rose from the dead, he opened the power to a whole new life. So he is the bread of life. Through his death and his resurrection, he gives us life. Life that starts now and lasts forever. So the question is, have you entrusted your life to him? Have you come to him? He says, come to me. Have you come to him? the source of everything that you need. As you trust in Him, then He'll be that for you. Now we see here that in this miracle that Jesus is so compassionate and so kind to everyone that He encounters. He's willing to meet our needs. He has that same attitude toward us as well. And so it's not hard to come to Him. He welcomes us with open arms to come to Him, to find the answer, to find eternal life. We just have to come on His terms, not on our own. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your incredible provision for us. Not just that You provided us food, not just that You provide us with all the material things that we have in life. Thank You for all of that, God, yes. But You provide us with Your Son. You provide us with true bread from heaven. You provide us with sustenance for our deepest soul and spirit. And so, Father, you know today the needs that we have. You know that the things that we face where our resources are not enough. And we turn to you. We want to put our trust in you. We ask that you'd show us in our lives, God, what only you can do and you'd grow our faith. You'd show us, Father, who your son really is so that we come to him on his terms, not on ours. We come to him to give us what he knows we need, not just what we think we need. And so we're asking you, your Holy Spirit, to speak to us, to speak to our hearts today, to make us alive toward you, to feed us, nurture us, nourish us with your good food in Jesus. Turn our hearts toward him, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name for his honor and glory.